Yeah, his question was, could this be transferred to multi-generational ministries? Yeah, but not to the same level. But, but there's no question that there... But sometimes in some cultures, the difference between generations is as great as the difference between cultures. But in most cultures, it's not. Um, there are some helpful resources on multi-generational ministry. Um, I was just talking earlier, there's a book by Gordon McDonald, it's an American book, but it's called Who Stole My Church? And it's actually written for older church members who say, what happened to my church? It's very helpful because I think they have to think and kind of work through some of these issues. Multi-generational, cross-generational conflict is one of the things I deal with more than probably anything else when I train people in churches. I'm not, I don't think I'm on this one, right? They, they talk? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, it'd be great if we could hear from, um, we'll start off with Peter, two, two things that you found helpful for, you, for your context and, uh, and one thing that you either question or a challenge. What was helpful was I wish uh, I'd heard this 13 years ago <laughs> uh, when I started. Uh, that would have been great. Uh, maybe I'll start with a challenge. Uh, I think that the challenge for me has really been uh, being a multiplying church. Uh, and, um, and the churches that we plant... Uh, being multiplying churches. So, uh, to be honest, I haven't thought that far ahead. We just think kind of one church plant at a time, and uh, uh, and each one is a feels like a big struggle. So, uh, that's that's the challenge. Uh, uh, well, sorry, that's probably both. Actually, the challenge and the thing that I've really kind of picked up from today. I'll leave it at that. Oh, can you just share? You've you've actually got a multicultural team. You've got a an Anglo. Uh, you've got Steve Frederick in your an Anglo, yeah. an Anglo, <laughs> as part of your ministry team, your staff team. Um, yeah. Can you share about the conflict you and Steve have? No. <laughs> well, we've we've got uh, we've also got uh, uh, two Vietnamese background people as well. Uh, we've had as a background in the past uh, a white Indian. Uh, Maltese background and Lebanese background. And that's been intentional? Uh, it has been slightly intentional, but it's also whoever we can get to come out to Fairfield, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> um, I Maybe Steve, Steve can back me up. I can't actually think of a, a real major conflict that we've had. Can you? You might not want to say. <laughs> but um, the, way, the way we've built our team at Fairfield is that uh, um, I started there on my own, so there was no team. And then the people that we've brought on uh, are people that have have come to us uh, as either people who have homegrown in our church or people that have come along as student ministers while they've been at college with me. Uh, while, they've been, while they've been at college, they've come on as student ministers. So... Apart from one person, um, everyone else that we've had on board as team members um, have been with me first for at least two years minimum. And so we've got to know them, they've got to know us. And I think that may be one of the reasons why there isn't major conflict because we've worked out how we operate together beforehand. Eugene? Yeah, um, I guess one of the challenges for me just listening to Ed was uh, just, uh, you know, it's it's just the realisation that... uh, multicultural conflict is not just confined to racial groups. Uh, So in our church, we have Cantonese-speaking, Mandarin-speaking, and then ABCs. And, you know, when people look at us, they just go, oh, a bunch of Asians. But 
when when us ABCs look at the Cantonese and the Mandarin, we go, ah, oh, a bunch of Chinese. You know, so we don't think we're Chinese. And so that, yeah, they see a bunch of Aussies when they look at us, you know. And, and so, but, but that multicultural conflict even exists within uh, racial groups. Uh, and so that's really apparent. Uh, so, so that struck me. And so for me, it's thinking through those issues of what does it mean for us to build a multicultural team? We, we all look the same, but we have three different cultural worldviews. Uh, and, you know, so that, that, that's a challenge. I guess I, I do have a question for Ed, which is uh, this whole question. I think Ed said uh, with the American Asian churches, uh, you know, they start self-governing, self-propagating because they want to be their own community. Um, and so there needs to be, they need to be monocultural in the first generation. Um, and I, I guess the, the question for, I'm, I'm asking Ed is, you know, I, I know that here, here in our city, I think the reason why we have Asian churches, we have about 100 of them, I think the reason we, we, we have those churches is because the, the mainline churches have just not reached them or they have not invested in multicultural teams, certainly for the last 100 years. So as the successive generations come true, uh, do you see a movement back into, because culture becomes, you know, like my children, they don't see themselves as Chinese. Um, they they, they, they have more recently because we've moved into a, a site where they see the Cantonese speaking for the first time. They say, oh, how come they're Chinese in our church? And so, you know, so, so, so that's how they see themselves. So would the third generation then see themselves as because we, we, we culturally, the, the distance has, has, has lessened? Do you see that in America where third generation are moving back to the mainstream churches? You see it. Um, you see it everywhere um, because what, what typically has happened is is in the in the first generation you have the linguistic difference is very clear and very obvious and you know very 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 first generation immigrant issue. Um, the second generation begins to blend and so um, I was actually the pastor of a second generation ABC, which means American born Chinese, uh, <laughs> the uh, church in the states, and and there's really this tension between uh, how do we honor our, our our elders and yet how do we engage our context and so it it actually became a bit of a multicultural. Asian congregations. So in other words, some Filipinos came, uh, you know, some Vietnamese came, things of that sort. Um, but by the third generation, you get to the point where it's almost total assimilation, and they would then become a part of more mainstream churches. I actually think that that's a great uh, challenge to the Chinese church. As you know, the elders in the Chinese church do not like that. Um, that's, that's a huge problem. Um, but at the same time, it's a great opportunity to begin to see this as a, as a missionary opportunity that we, because I mean, the, the, the robustness of the Chinese Christian community, I'm assuming in Aust- is, is in Australia as robust as it is in other places. Uh, you know, we see it all around the world, probably except Taiwan and the Chinese diaspora. And so, so we see this opportunity. And so to have the Chinese move from the ethnic Chinese enclave as missionaries into a broader culture is a wonderful opportunity. And that typically takes place at 25 generation. And, and I think we can intentionally help that. And I think one of the great, uh, I, th- I think that the Chinese diaspora church is one of the great untapped resources for, for global mission and engagement in Australia and everywhere else around the world. We're at the, uh, at our church, we are at the point where uh, we're not quite at two and a half generations, but have uh, those ABCs seeing a responsibility to the incoming migrants who speak English well but would operate in a Chinese church, even as ABCs, so that they can invite their black-haired friends uh, to come to that church. And so that's been a, uh, an intentional activity of those folks. So, uh, I've made lots of notes. Um, it's been very helpful. One of the things I did note was 
the idea of slowing things down, <coughs> uh, that has been uh, uh, quite obvious with uh, our church plants among uh, non-Anglo churches. Uh, and uh, the biggest difficulty has been uh, with the leadership, uh, trying to uh, uh, select, uh, train, care for leadership and we had some spectacular failures as well as taking a long time to do it uh, so that uh, we've had folk, um, uh, we had to close a church down because, you know, spent 10 years with a guy and still didn't work out and uh, with another guy uh, had to ask him to step down from leadership, kept the ministry going but stepped him down simply because uh, he wasn't able to move um, from sort of the, the cultural background he came from uh, and make the sort of changes that were needed in terms of, in terms of the gospel. Uh, and another guy, um, uh, just assuming that I read all the signs of him being on board with us but didn't realise that he was internalising all the pressures, I just didn't pick it. And uh, he had a breakdown. Uh, and so... It, it, it just slows the whole process down. With my Anglo mates and the ABC mates uh, on the staff, we can, you know, go together and I read it well. But I, yeah, so that, that was one of the things that I, I picked up and it was a good reinforcement for what we've... The other thing, I suppose, is that um, having... Uh, uh, you he, Hearing you talk about multicultural teams, having non-Anglo faces in an area that's changing from being principally Anglo to having a non-Anglo faces up the front makes a big difference to the nature of the church that becomes uh, part of the, uh, uh, it becomes what the church becomes. And so that was a, a good observation that uh, you made as well. So thank you. Throw in there an ad. The, one of the things, we, we have a phrase for it in the States that's it's quite debated and controversial. It's called affirmative action. Um, and I don't know if you've used this phrase here, but, I, but I, I'm very much, I've written about it, I'm very much an advocate of affirmative action in churches. Uh, now, affirmative action in the workplace is, is that, and, and, and my guess is, just what a little I know about Australia, probably there's a certain you know, desire to have a more diverse workforce, and so people are promoted or given opportunities to bring about you know, racial and ethnic uh, more diversity in the workplace. I'm guessing that's the case. It's controversial in states, probably less controversial here. I think in the church, it, it shouldn't be that controversial. I think we we want to find and raise up. If our desire is to reflect and look more like the kingdom of God, we're going to have to intentionally say to that visible minority, that's what the Canadians would say as it describes, someone you can tell and see is here and say, listen, we want to spend extra time with you, more time with you to help you to raise you up into leadership so that this church can can be more welcoming and connecting and affirming. And so I would say affirmative, positive action is a key thing to do and to continue to raise up some of those leaders that are there. It's very time-consuming. It is. You're right. You're right. It's hard work. Peter, can you just share the, the partnerships that have, I guess, made, made it possible for, for you to plant uh, or grow Bosley Park and also then um, Fairfield Church? Because I, I think one of the, the difficulties that I've chatted with you about is the, the movement to viability as a church. So at Fairfield, uh, Bosley Park, it took seven years uh, for you to really be viable. Um, how, you know, how have partnerships helped in? In that church partnerships, yeah, sure. Uh, so Fairfield uh, is a very poor area, very high unemployment, very high gambling, uh, famous for our drive-by shootings. So it's not an area that, uh, if you can afford not to live there, you won't live there. 
what that's meant is that uh, with our with the congregation that's grown, uh, a lot of you don't have a lot of people in well-paying jobs, which means in most areas of Sydney, if you had this kind of numbers that we had at church, you'd be easily paying for somebody. Uh, but because we've got very high unemployment even within our congregations, uh, financial viability, you need a lot more people. We've been uh, very blessed by uh, one particular church financially uh, that's on the opposite side of Sydney to us. Uh, and they've been very generous in supporting our uh, ministry and, and particularly supporting Steve, who, who's leading one of our church plants. Um, and there've been, there's been another church in Sydney that uh, when I started in Fairfield, I started as a student minister and they paid my student minister wage for one year. Uh, and then after that they gave us uh, a little bit of money but uh, made me one of their missionaries. And so uh, pray for me every single Sunday uh, they would send people down just to visit me and take me out for lunch. Uh, I'd constantly be getting emails and handwritten letters of people from the congregation saying, we're praying for you. Uh, uh, and every Christmas they give my family a Christmas present, uh, buy things for the kids. And, and so that, that prayer partnership and the financial partnership from that, from that other church in Sydney has been very important just in keeping us going. Uh, so that we can continue ministry there. Other questions? Ken? Okay. Um, just, um, I can understand the uh, multicultural leadership structure, but what's a little bit hard for me to understand is um, how do you run a multicultural church meeting? Do you have aim at... It seems to me a lot of cultures like different styles of uh, meeting. Nigerian, Filipino, um, Anglo-Australian, Queenslander, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, so how do you do that? How does that work? Week to week. Uh, I mean, we're, we're finding our way along. In fact, uh, it's, uh, it's, it was good coming here, actually, looking at some of the stuff Ed's put up put a few notes down because like next week, for example, the, the ABC ministry team pastors are going to have a meeting with the Cantonese Mandarin ministry team. Uh, and even though we've been working together for the last 12 years, the, the two pastoral teams work quite independently. So it's going to be the first time we're going to sit down as two ministry team, pastors teams, to work out how we're going to do ministry together on the one side. And so... I mean, so for us, it's, you know, working out those ground rules that Ed put up, you know, understanding our leadership style, how we want to be spoken to. So I think that that's what we're trying to do. Uh, and even then, I think we already anticipate conflict. I mean, Ed said, look, there's a take home today. It's expect conflict. And so there you go. I'm happy to serve you with that good news. Uh, you know, I, in the PowerPoint that we'll send you, I actually have about 20 slides where I talked about, you know, how to, how to function in some of those leadership environments, how to do common planning, that kind of stuff. And so I just uh, I just put too much in, and I, I'm sorry, Scott. I really, I'm very sorry, Scott. I know you've been furious with me, and I just want to apologize. But it, it's in the PowerPoint, too. Um, we, I counted the other week. I think we had, in our biggest service, 
I think something like 23 or 24 different nationalities represented. What we've tried to do in terms of running a multicultural meeting is we kind of have affirmative action as far as people up the front. So we try to have a mixture of nationalities, nationalities from the front. And uh, what we've been doing uh, recently is trying to make sure, like, I speak like, if, if you didn't, if you didn't, if I, if you were just listening to me on the phone, you'd think an Aussie. You see me in person, you think Norwegian. Um, uh, but what we've been, and, and so a lot of our, a lot of people though from different cultural backgrounds uh, were brought up in Australia, came to Australia young. So what we've also been trying to do is actually to hear different accents at the front. So people might look different, but all have the same Aussie accent. So. Uh, recently, we've been having people with thicker accents from wherever they're from up the front, which has been uh, terrific. Uh, and the other thing that we've worked very, very hard on in terms of uh, um, having a meeting that sort of is multicultural is making sure our language is very simple. So we, we don't have a lot of theological jargon. We don't have a lot of churchy jargon. Uh, we try to take all of that out. Uh, I tell our preachers, especially our students, student ministers, that you can't have any words longer than two syllables in your sermon. Now, that's impossible, uh, but it pushes you to make sure that we're using language that's simple that uh, goes across. Uh, Humour, as well, is a, is a big one. And we've found uh, what might work in one culture doesn't work in another culture. But uh, there are some kinds of humour that I think do translate across most cultures, and that tends to be more visual humour. Slapstick, yeah, yeah. So everyone thinks it's funny when someone gets cream in their face. So, uh, and and the other th the other big thing is um, uh, a sense of community, even within the gathering. Two ways that we do that. One is food. So there's no such thing as morning tea at our church uh, as a couple of packet of biscuits and a cup of tea. So you've got to have a big and fulsome and nice morning tea uh, because most of the cultural groups tend to be groups that uh, are food-based. Most of your community happens around food. Uh, so we always have substantial food, uh, but... One thing I say every single church service, and I've been saying it every single Sunday for 13 weeks, and this is how people imitate me when they're trying to tease me, is I say we have church in two halves at St Barnabas. Uh, the first half, we'll pray, we'll hear the Bible read and taught, so forth. And the second half of church is we eat together and we talk together. And so please stay for both halves of church today. And so that's helping them to understand that the gathering is not just singing, Bible reading, sermon, prayer. But the gathering actually is the time that you spend talking together afterwards as well and eating. Can I, can I ask a question about um, breaking into a culture that's very family-orientated? So uh, in our area, um, on a Sunday, perhaps for the whole day, you go down to Brighton, uh, you go to Tempe, you go to Sydney, you go to all the parks, you'll find a, a tonne of hibachis, and it looks like three or four generations of the one Muslim family uh, eating 
uh, enjoying, you know, enjoying a ton of meat uh, being cooked and smoke everywhere. Um, how do you break, you know, how do you break into that into that culture? Um, how do you break into those really tight, what seems like tight family groups, uh, as a, you know, as someone outside of that culture? Uh, I eat their food. <laughs> People love it when you eat their food and you try their food. And I'm not going to complain. I love to eat. So, uh, yeah, uh, go and eat their food and learn to say hello in their language. The only other thing that uh, you need to do is take your wife and your kids uh, so that uh, what, what that what won't happen is uh, what happens with Aussie families. The wife will sit with the uh, husband and the the kids will be playing around. If you come up as a man to speak to the man, uh, the wives and the wife and the kids will uh, drift into the background. And so if you want to reach the family, you've got to take your wife and kids. Uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy a glass of wine and uh, I love a beer. Um, and I enjoy ham. Um, I'm conscious that my next door neighbours, a Muslim family of four kids, um, they they won't come over for for dinner. Um, so I've got to somehow work out how I can invite myself over to their place. Is that is that your understanding, Bruce? Perhaps from some of the work you've done. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that, um, Muslim cultures are terrifically hospitable, um, and uh, going next door, uh, uh, getting things from them at Christmas at your at our festivals is very common and. So interacting with them by being in their home. Uh, but again, the same thing in a more conservative household, most households, is that the women will uh, retreat. And if you want to do it as a family, which may not happen initially, you'll need to do it with your wife and kids. And, and in fact, your wife is probably better placed to have access to the family than you are uh, because uh, there's a, there are immediate contacts via kids and family and educate all the sorts of things that worry you and your wife about your kids worry them and their you know uh, how are their kids going at school and so on so moving through their kids and through the wife is much easier than uh, you with the husband. The only thing I was going to add to that was uh, time. Uh, particularly with Middle Easterners, uh, a vis- you can't go and pop in for a half-hour visit or a one-hour visit. Uh, you pretty much want to clear your schedule um, because, one, you'll be there for a long time and, two, they'll be offended if you kind of leave before it seems appropriate to leave. So, um, In any of these cases, there are everything's been said exactly right, but it is worth taking the time to learn some about the the uh, mores, the customs, the taboos of that culture. Um, particularly, you know, Scott happens to be living in a, in a Lebanese neighborhood. Um, to know that Lebanese, there are differences between the two, and and uh, when you're in, uh, we our, our church is actually um, um, focusing on a Central Asian people group that I won't mention on the recording. Um, and, and their differences, and so they're so they're 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 Muslim, but they're more they're more folk Muslim, animistic Muslim almost, and so um, so it's a very veneer level of Islam. But the biggest challenge is the is the is the tight knit 
community that's there. And so we're ministering to refugees and, 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 and engaging this people group both in Central Asia, in South America where many of them have migrated, and in Nashville, Tennessee where they've migrated. And so that's how our church is seen to be engaged. But we're actually training our church in this people group. And so our church is learning some words in this people group's language. Um, um, you know, we're, we're learning some foods and what foods we don't eat with this people group uh, along the way. And so I, I think uh, teaching your people, you know, John Knox said of Scotland, give me Scotland or I die. If you're going to lead your church to engage in a cross-cultural mission endeavor, have them fall in love with that. So they, they, they say, you know, give me the Afghans or I, I die or, you know, or, or give me, you know, give me the, the Quechua or I die. You know, give them that passion. And then as a congregation, lead them systemically and intentionally to know that culture so you can engage that culture as well. Oh, and I'd say resources, uh, peoplegroups.org has a helpful resource where you can actually get more information on all of these different people groups and kind of dig more deeply in that. And also uh, peoplegroups.info. Peoplegroups.info is something I created um, when I was uh, heading a mission agency research department, different different one. And in that case, you can actually um, find out what country of origin and languages spoken at home and then find out the resources that are available in those languages. Uh, you might be a gospel recording, might be a Bible translation, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, look, I just I wanted to ask a question. We've got, um, uh, well, all sorts of people in the in the suburb that we're reaching out to, and in fact our church does have Irish people and African people and Chinese people and everything under the sun. But we've what we're trying to in, encourage some local Christians to do, because it's a new suburb, is to come and be part of the mission that we're doing. And there's one family I can think of in particular, and they're, they're travelling from St Mary's where we are almost to the eastern suburbs to go to an, a first-generation ethnic church. They're not growing as Christians. I can see that. And the wife's very frustrated. But I don't know what to do with that situation. I mean, do I encourage them, come and be part of what we're doing, come and do mission with us because there's, there's people from their, uh, from their ethnic group within our community that they could reach out to? Um, or do I say, no, 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 stay where you are, keep doing what you're doing, although... It's miles away. The community's poor. You know, they're not in home groups or things like that. Like, what do you do in that situation? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, look, uh, a- Asians, you know, most Asian churches in our city are hub churches. So most of them don't live in the suburb. Um, they, they travel. Um, which which is a good and a bad thing because because they travel they the the negative is that they don't care about the suburb it's a place where they meet um, and so you know and and they gather because they they they, they probably go to uh, ethnic specific churches because they're comfortable um, they you know I think Ed was saying that you know I think people are just comfortable being with uh, their own people groups. And so that's why they do it. And so I think, you know, where you have people who are not mature enough to, to do that, to make that transition, I think you'd, you'd be hard-pressed trying to get them to come to your church. I mean, it could be a gospel issue, couldn't it? Uh, that is, uh, you just need to spend time with. Um, it could be a gospel issue, uh, but it may, that may be too simple um, because uh, cultural issues are really deep and uh, it's very, um, it's not, 
it's difficult sometimes. I mean, just think of uh, when we're living in Pakistan, uh, the churches that we went to were the ones that were white and like us, and it was easy to be there. Uh, and so it's just like that for them. And so you need to be um, uh, patient. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure how long the guys that they've been here. They may have been here a long time. Um, there are some groups that take ages to uh, move out of their community. Their kids with the ones that you'll actually be focusing on. So the answer is, uh, I'm not sure what you do. Spend time with them. Keep painting the vision to them. Uh, it may be that God will change them if they're the sort of folk you're going to focus on. So uh, there's, there's no straightforward answer, perhaps. But gospel issue, cultural issues are really deep. So spend time.